Um, hi everyone, welcome to the Folklore Scotland podcast. This is the Cranog, where a panel of podcast hosts talk to you about a topic. This week we're doing Harvest, um, and I'm joined today, I'm Rebecca, and I'm joined today by David, and Mila, and Jamie. And I think we're starting today with Mila, so here we go. So I'm going to be looking at the origins of the widely celebrated Gaelic festival of Luna Sa. Uh, for anybody who wants to Google it just while they're listening in, uh, it's not pronounced quite as it sounds. But if you scroll down to the description, um, it will be listed there alongside obviously other details from the topics we'll be covering today. Um, so this celebration is usually held on August 1st, just for consistency. Though in the past it was held roughly around halfway between summer and autumn equinox as this was the first time the crops were harvested during the year and it marked the beginning of the harvest season as a whole. It was observed mainly throughout Ireland before coming to Scotland and it was slightly renamed to Luna Sal, uh, which is a Scottish Gaelic name. And then it also came to the Isle of Man where it was called Lewiston. And despite the differences in the name and the spelling of all these different festivals, they do actually come as a whole and they celebrate very similar things. Um, the symbolism throughout has also remained very similar. and uh, It's part of a wider series of festivals as well, one of which we mentioned in a past episode of the Cranog. It was the Beltane Festival, which is held in May. Um, and there's two other festivals that are held alongside the series of four. Um, so the other two are Son, which is held at the end of October, and Imbol, which is held in February. So this particular festival is said to have pagan origins, um, and it was quite widely popular, should I say recently, in the 20th century. Um, but Luna Sa is actually named after the god Log. Um, who's associated with strength and seen as a great warrior. And people at the festival would often gather for some religious but some ritual-based ceremonies to honour him. And the festival consisted of some athletic competitions, so a lot of competitions of strength. Um, There's also a lot of dancing and lots of games involved, and also a lot of opportunities for local farmers and harvesters to trade goods and trade different foods and different types of herbs um, that they harvested, a lot of fruit as well. Um, and alongside this, there was also a harvest of a animal sacrifice. It was mostly bulls, um, but that was another way to honour the gods uh, in the hope that the harvest season would be a fruitful one for the whole duration of that kind of quarter. And it was interesting that all these activities would also have taken place on high rising hills. Um, so they would have brought all these ceremonies to quite the kind of biggest high-rise areas that they could find and certainly around Scotland uh, would have been the highlands predominantly um, that would have happened people would have gathered for those ceremonies um, a lot of the other traditions would revolve around the different types of fruits um, that would be brought to the festival um, also a lot of breads um, and it was also a ceremony of having your friends and family around so it was one of those that again would celebrate kind of the fruitful season and the hope for a good harvest for the year ahead I was also trying to research a little bit just into the, the god Luna because I couldn't quite find exactly what the link between him and Harvest specifically was because he was kind of honoured as like strength. The strength to lift the crops. 
Well, that I kind of just thought of it as more like the strength of like if he gave strength to the crops to grow. He is often associated with Mercury, the Roman god, because he's like there's a story where he shows up at like the the gatehouse of a castle, um, and knocks on the door, and the gatekeeper's like you can't come in and then gives him all of these different tasks to do or like um lou tells him that he can do all these different things and the story is basically like this guy knows how to do everything he's a master of all trades um and that's how he gets in oh okay that kind of explains because i found some stuff about like he was it was like a skill based thing like he was the master of skills which is what kind of what you said well farming is an essential skill yeah that that's true um, Which also then leads to like crop crop preservation and crop harvest. They're all technically skills, so mm-hmm. that could that could be where it stems from. So, having heard a bit about the traditional origins of the harvest festival. In Scotland, I wanted to talk a bit about the harvest festivals today. Um, growing up in a, a small rural um, village, uh, a good portion of the school that I was in were a farming-based, well, for, from farming-based families. So the, the harvest festival was always a big event in the school each year. Um, we would have uh, singing and dancing and quite often hymns and things because a lot of the traditional pagan festivals were adopted by um, Christianity as it came in and this was no change from that. Uh, we would do like, offerings as you came in, people would bring what they'd harvested from the gardens or the ones that didn't have very big barn- gardens would bring in a tin of soup <laughs> or beans that they had in their cupboard and it would all go off on the big table at the front while everybody performed the things and at the end uh, it would be bagged up and given to the older people in the village I know across Scotland and a lot of the UK um, that kind of thing goes on in churches across towns and cities uh, and in a lot of schools as well even to this day people do that kind of thing Uh, it's a very community feeling thing and that's typically held on the first Sunday of the month normally so along similar timelines to the traditional pagan festival that it's tied with originally Um, but in the countryside there's a lot of other things tied with the harvest that are very similar to that harvest festival although set separate times of the month sometimes there's one towards the end of august um which ties in more with the the end of harvest the bring to the close of that uh, we have the village show in shawhead where i'm from and currently i'm in recording this podcast um and it's always set at the last weekend of the month as that's when people have the last of their harvests have the biggest prize crops growing so for the fruit and veg section they have the best the pinnacle of the what they have there um so they do the village show part which is that of showing off their fruit and veg and their their baking and all that kind of thing but we also used to do not so much nowadays with the smaller population but used to do back in the day was we would have a big festival so there'd be dancing there'd be a big hog roast above the fire um, throw in a traditional Kaylee and very much in the, in the feel and the, the festivities of what a lot of people going back way into history had done for celebrating the bringing in the harvest. Um, I think a lot from the kind of 1800s onwards it was previously tied with the church and nowadays with things becoming slightly more secular again 
it was just tied with the idea of community and people coming together to celebrate that, that we'd had a successful harvest once again and that there was a lot to celebrate. Um, I'm not sure whether it was just a coincidence or whether it had been planned, but I know a few of the smaller villages and towns in the regions when they'd really started throwing the party element into their village shows and things like that was not long after the foot and mouth epidemic um, which killed a lot of the animals in the region and left a lot of the farmers in a lot of trouble um, so after they'd come out of that I think it was a way of really celebrating that the, the harvest had come off that the animals were safe and that everybody was together in that collective environment um, and it did feel very much as though that was a tradition that had been passed down for many years and is something we still celebrate today because it is just important now as it ever was we still need the food we still need the harvest to come in and although we have the hacks of, of modern day life it's still something that we occasionally will praise the skies that we've we've got in i really love that what you said about how the party element came in after foot and mouth it feels like such a modern piece of folklore you know the sort of thing that people will look back on and say all these people celebrated specifically like quite vivaciously because of this disease that went around and they had more reason to celebrate after it was gone i think that's really fascinating yeah, it's proper recent history because yeah. that's in our sort of memory of it happening. And I mean, I like to think we're quite young still. <laughs> um, but it's nice when you hear folklore being in very recent terms because a lot of the stuff we talk about, certainly in previous episodes, has been kind of centuries and centuries ago. Um, and it's nice to see that kind of coming into everyday life currently. What um, harvest things do you guys remember from your childhood? Mainly going to like church with my grandparents. There was always like the harvest service and then you yeah. bring or like harvest things at school where you bring like canned goods, stuff like that. And then you'd like make up a basket like with like, for, like all the ingredients like everyone brought into school and like that would be chipped off to help like hungry families. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a lot of going to church, definitely. Yeah. It was definitely that kind of spiritual element of it. Quite a religious element for a lot of people. I suppose that idea of bringing in canned goods really does like stick with the theme of the festival, festival harvest because like, while not many people nowadays like grow their own food and like, because it's also commercially and readily available, like people don't have to do these kind of things anymore. There are people that do it for us. But... <laughs> In a way, that's everyone bringing food together. I think it's quite nice that we still celebrate it because obviously, you know, we're really not as tied to the land as we used to be. Um, it's only really a select few people who still tend the land that really have that connection with it. Whereas we used to be in a position where everyone, you know, the the climate and the weather and everything would matter to everyone because everyone was relying on the crops. But we're so disattached from that now that we forget how much we rely on it so it's nice that we still do celebrate that yeah it it just feels really archaic and nice and like a nice kind of tie-in back to the land and how much we we need it
I'm going to talk about the Berryman, who is a central figure in the annual like harvest festival. Uh, there's actually also a parade that takes place, and it's quite specific to South Queen's Ferry in Scotland, outside Edinburgh, and it takes place on the south bank of the Forth, near near where Queen's Ferry is. Uh, so it is the the custom is associated, but it is also separated from the harvest. And it's its own like it's sort of like a kind of boogeyman figure where the Burryman was used to like well originally intended to scare off evil spirits, as in because like this is when people would believe that evil spirits could affect the crops. Probably scared more children than anything else, but that's how it was meant to happen. Now no one really knows nowadays where the Burryman custom, when the Burryman custom happened because it has been lost to time. So the first fairy festival which happened in South Queen's Ferry was established in 1987, but the Burryman is years older than that, so we could be talking multiple centuries old. There are, it's, it mainly takes place in a lot of fishing communities, so places like Bucky, Moray, Firth, and Fraserburgh in Scotland. The custom is also said that like if you were to see the Berryman, uh, you have to avoid looking him in the eyes because he can be that terrifying. From what I've read, it doesn't actually sound that scary, but this is what it is meant to, to look like. So the Berryman is meant to collect his coverings uh, with burrs. So burrs are like sticky flower heads from various kinds of root plants, a lot like burdock root, specifically like two different kinds, and they stick to him kind of like Velcro. So just think this big mass of like flower heads is what moves towards you in the night. And so this custom now keeps going in today. So now people from these towns uh, elect someone every year to be uh, the bury man for that year. And it's usually a male around the age of 25 because that's how old the bury man was said to have been. Uh, and he would he would go on a walk along the south uh, seven mile route through South Queens Ferry, which takes for for about nine hours or more, dressed like this large spur monster wearing boots and a sash. Uh, would you want to do it? No, no. I think I'd pass on that. I'd leave that to the boys. That However, like the boys ah, well, 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 you might. You might change your mind after you tell he's given a free drink of whiskey. So like I said, I'm happy to be the boring man. <laughs> but you have to drink it through a straw. That's fine. Yeah. Protects my lipstick. Yeah, he's given whiskey because at the end of the day, he is usually exhausted. You would be if we're walking seven mile route nine, nine hours a day. Yeah. Uh, and it is meant, the tradition is in a sense meant to bring good luck to the, bring good luck to the town. So yeah, he's given whiskey and sometimes money. Yeah, she's she's in. If anyone's <laughs> looking for a new bury man, you've got your you've got your girl. And it's still continued to this day because it is apparently meant to be bad luck if the tradition is ever discounted. We're talking about harvest, and when you think about harvest, you mainly think of like land, but fishing is also a form of harvest. It's a way of bringing in food. So like, and fishing fishing in a way does require kind of a bit of luck. 
There are days you go out, there you get nothing. There are days you go out, you get a great haul. So I think in general, like a lot of fishing people can be quite superstitious. Which, so if there's a superstition that brings good luck or bad luck, they'll continue the good luck. For any other event, any other celebration, being chosen as the kind of key figure would be such an honour. You know, you're chosen, yeah. the, you're chosen to represent Santa. What an honour. But the Burry Man? <laughs> Who's going to want to do that? I don't, I don't really know. Because like, if you get selected to be someone who brings good luck to a town for a year, I think that would be quite an honour. Like speaking of the kind of suffering angle, um, as opposed to the, like the honor angle, like the, there's some links with Jesus and like the crown of thorns and the the sacrifice, in it's kind of linked to the English um idea of John Barleycorn as this figure who is like the grain who gets sacrificially cut down to feed the masses who like feast on his body and then he's like rebirthed in spring um and it's this idea of like the the figure covered in burrs you know thorn like having to suffer in order to bring the good harvest which i thought was quite interesting Um, I was running low on time and ideas, so... <laughs> yes, you were running low on time. I thought, what was the most standout thing about the harvest? And that was bread. Um, everyone loves bread, and we get bread from the harvest, and Lamas, which is another name for Lunasa, gets its name from Loaf Mass. So we're, take we're talking bread for a few minutes here, and literally only a few minutes. I don't have many facts about bread. So, specifically the bannock. Um, the bannock is a flatbread made from grain. And to give you a kind of visual idea about what the bannock is, um, a source I use said that often bannocks, scones, and oat cakes can be difficult to distinguish between. And sometimes the term bannock is used interchangeably between these three things. Um, the bannock gets its name from the Gaelic bannock, meaning morsel, which may come from the fact that the bannock would be made with leftover crumbs because it was considered unlucky to use up all of your grain or all of your kind of bread making ingredients um, when you were making bread. So you would leave a few crumbs for next time and that's what it was made from. There's a tradition surrounding the bannock where every quarter day and each... The, the quarter day is the kind of quarter festival throughout the year. so. You've got Beltane in the spring, Lunasa, which we've been talking about at the end of summer, harvest time, Salmon in the autumn, and Imolk towards the end of winter um, and stepping into spring. And a special bannock was made for each of the family members on these quarters. Um, the bannock made at Lunasa was made from the grain harvested from the fields, obviously, because there was a surplus of it. And it was often served with cheese left over from Beltane. Um, the bannocks would be distributed throughout the family starting with the wife and then aged down um, from eldest to youngest child and I found a fun tradition where they would take bannocks outside and with every piece that they ate they would throw a piece over their shoulder as an offering to all the different uh, creatures that would endanger their livestock and a source that I found said that they would say something along the lines of, and I've just copied and pasted this, but it says, Here to you, wolf, spare my sheep. There to you, fox. 
spare my lambs. Here to you, eagle, spare my goats. There to you, raven, spare my kids. Here to you, Martin, spare my fowls. Here to you, Harrier, spare my chickens. Um, and they did this in hope that it would give them another month or so of peaceful farming before the the winter properly kicked in. And that's my bit. <laughs> you had another bit about the bannock, though. Oh, that was about Beltane. Oh, that was about Beltane. So this is like not to do with Lunasa at all, but I thought it was quite fun. Every Beltane, again, a bannock would be made for each family member. And then it would be singed or like marked with the um like the charcoal or the the coal from the belting fire so there was a little black mark on this on this bannock and the bannock would be distributed among the family and then whoever ended up with the with the marked piece of bannock would be nominated the family sacrifice in inverted commas for the evening and they would have to pretend to be the sacrifice so the family would pretend to chase them into the fire Sometimes they would have to jump the fire, um, and they they would just have to pretend to be the sacrifice. What a weird tradition! I mean, I was like, does this come from actual human sacrifice? The Folklore Scotland podcast is brought to you by Folklore Scotland, the charity that tells the tales of the past with the technology of today. You can visit our website at folklorescotland.com. If you're keen to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, send us an email at info at folklorescotland.com. You can also find all of our social media links and a complete list of sources for today's topics in the show notes. Many thanks again to Lindley for providing stunning artwork for this week's episode. Next week, you can look forward to another Campfire Tales episode followed by a trip into the Greenwood with Rosie and Kathy the week after that. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.